everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. Amazon has been a giant in the e-commerce retail media world for years, and IdeoClick is helping hundreds of brands through that landscape. Ann Zimbowski, the Vice President of Strategy and Client Development at IdeoClick, is helping lead the way. Ann joined IdeoClick in 2022, after more than 15 years in the e-commerce industry, working at places like Clorox and Kantar Retail. We got to dive into the opportunities around retail media, and we discussed whether large brands are building the foundation for the future, or maybe stuck in the past. Enjoy today's episode. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. And welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here, Stephanie. I'm excited to have you. So... I want to start in a little bit different of a way. You work with a lot of smart people. You guys have over 150 really great clients. And what I want to know from you is what do you believe that maybe your coworkers would disagree with you on? So I think one thing that folks, uh, both current colleagues and others in the industry that I continue to connect with that are experts in the Amazon ecosystem would disagree with is I've never thought that stores really played a role in the e-commerce system. Uh, for Amazon. Their model is very different. And while they've been in and out of stores over the past decade, I think they've served a very different purpose than the way that most people think about stores today and the role of stores in Omnichannel and the future of commerce. I like that. Okay. We'll get more into that later on of like how to think about companies entering the retail space, who should, who shouldn't. Because It does seem like Amazon's trying to do everything all at once. And everyone's always nervous, you know, about What can they do? What will they white label? They're going to play in my space. So we'll definitely have to get more into that. 
Before we do, I want to back it up a bit and hear about your journey into, you know, the world of commerce. I know you worked at Clorox before this for, I think, five years, and you were at Kantar for 11, which, full disclosure, I did not know what Kantar was until I looked them up, and I was like, wow, they're kind of doing everything? Okay. I want to hear, <laughs> how did you get into this world, and maybe, you know, what have you seen changing over the past 20 years? Absolutely. So if I go way back, what was interesting is in school, as I went back to business school, I was really good at finance and was like, oh, I should do the investment banking thing. And I actually ended up in some financial consulting um, and actually implementing EVA with companies. And so I started off in a training, designing comp plans and a lot of detailed finance work and making good business decisions and working with executives. And through that, actually, luckily enough, got introduced to a number of retailers that were trying to build and grow their brands. And so I found out later that I really loved the retailer piece. And so then I found Kantar probably about 16 years ago or so. And as my oldest is now 14, I can track when I made that pivot from uh, just tracking bricks and mortar and the big retailers of Amazon, Walmart, and mass merchandisers and category specialists at Kantar into raising the flag to say, you know, there's this retailer called Amazon that we should figure out. And a lot of what we provided our clients was forecasts for how they're going to grow, which are all based on sales per square foot and these models for growth that's based about distribution in the physical store format. So Really, for the past 14 years, marks my e-commerce journey that been raising the flag and working with both retailers and brands on that journey to start figuring out um, how to put those pieces together, what e-commerce is, and what's been really exciting as of late is then how those two worlds are starting to come back together as we're really getting to this connected commerce world, despite all the buzz terms that we've yep. been through in between. So how do you feel today, seeing a world where you said in the beginning, you started your career and you love the finances and the metrics and making sure that, you know, the numbers actually worked for the company. And then it feels like it's back to those days again, where, you know, companies cannot, for the past many years, I think companies have been growing in a way that is not the most sustainable and not profitable. And now I think it's starting to pivot back to like, hey, let's have some good business fundamentals here, people. Does it feel full circle seeing it kind of get back to the place like where you started? It really is. And I'm glad that you pointed out those metrics because I think it we're at an inflection point where um, as we've been taking a look at double digit growth, you know, we went from a world of talking about the 1% problem, right? 99% of the volume is still going through physical stores and it was only 1%, especially if you're talking about food and groceries. Now, as you take a look, almost 20% or one out of every dollar, $5 spent in retail is spent in e-commerce. And when you take a look and flip that on its head a little bit, you've got probably 70% of sales that are at least influenced digitally um, in some way that changes how we think about that equation. But when we think about growth, we've been on this trajectory. And I don't think that many folks have really had the time to ingest just how big those double-digit growth rates through the pandemic have been and the implications now that we are at scale in e-commerce and the continued growth rates. When we take a look at Amazon's Q1, you know, in North America, they grew their business about 8%. They've tripled the size of their business in two years. <laughs> so wow. they're sort of at a pause point where they've doubled their capacity across the board. Sales are slowing, we're hit by inflation. And when you take a look, not just at retail sales, but at gross merchandise value, 
and sales in the US this year, Amazon will probably surpass Walmart as the biggest retailer and through their platform, uh, when you account for all the goods and services across the board that kind of pass through from a consumer standpoint, will be bigger than Walmart. And so Amazon's grown both in terms of you know, capacity as well as they've doubled the number of employees. So as we think about both brands, Amazon and even Walmart um, have really ingested huge pieces of growth. And so I think we're just at this inflection point that we're still the continuing to grow, but those days of growth at any cost, and it doesn't matter that we're losing money on some of this stuff. Yeah, uh, We're at a point where scale matters and when scale matters, we've got to look closer at the bottom line and setting up for profitable growth. So a lot of our clients right now, we're having some discussions where in the past, maybe it's been hard to figure out the right assortment for through the mail, e-commerce and shipping versus what may go through, say, grocery pickup across the board. But those are much more prevalent. And as Amazon and even Walmart and Target are being hit by inflation and profitability challenges, and especially fuel and transportation, that's 60% higher than it was a year ago. I think everybody is getting a little bit of a breather to rethink what sustainable growth looks like going forward and how we invest soup to nuts and driving profitable growth long-term. So, I mean, when hearing that, how are you all advising your brands? Because, I mean, what I've been hearing over the past couple of years is that many of the brands, of course, are going D to C. They're selling from their website. They're finding all these different platforms to sell from. But to me, when I hear, you know, how big Amazon is and that that's the place you need to be, they're the one investing in all the warehouses and, you know, everything that's going on behind the scenes. They have something that, you know, many people can't even dream to tap into when it comes to their capabilities. Are you still telling your customers to sell everywhere? Or are you saying, hey, let's actually just focus on the biggest players in the market right now who already have everything figured out and rely more heavily on them? Yeah, so it's interesting. We kind of have two different approaches, I think, in terms of the focusing. Um, I would say from a retail media perspective, that's where we've been having the conversation about really focusing to the platforms that are mature and learning and focusing those retail media dollars. So as we get to talking about uh, the retail media players and just how big that's become, you know, 30 billion plus for Amazon and growing as it continues to steal share of digital ad spend um, and Walmart and Instacart sort of back behind those and what that looks like there, we're focusing on that. And then I think because so many brands have varied distribution strategy in store, how they then think about profitability and sustainability and what assortment is where it's helping to kind of reinvigorate smarter discussions about multi-packs or not everything on Amazon. I think mm-hmm. that's one of the myths too, with Amazon being the point of the everything store and millions and millions of SKUs and everything should be on Amazon when you've got stuff that's you know below a $10 or $11 average selling price on Amazon. Nobody's making any money on that. So Amazon's been um, tougher on profitability and rightly so. Um, across the board in terms of pushing vendors uh, to be making money so that we can both grow profitably across the board. So Amazon's pushback on profitability of help. Brands also kind of taking a look at profitability of help and um, it's helped to really reset what we sell in each channel versus just deciding that every SKU should be sold everywhere and getting much more strategic about 
what is the consumer mission, um, the solution, and then the distribution, but simplicity and strategy over more is better. Yeah. Okay. So would it be guiding the lower priced items to the Walmarts, the Instacarts, and then the higher priced items to Amazon? Or is there more details behind, you know, how you're advising, like where they should go? Yeah. So I think, you know, a couple of, there's a couple of different strategies from like either bundles or multi-packs um, across selling that we can do um, across the board, especially for any of the through the mail e-commerce packs, particularly Amazon. The other thing that brands are getting smarter about or realizing that they need to do in the equation is controlling some of their distribution and some of you know where their products are growing across the board to prevent resellers and others from a pricing perspective for undercutting them on price uh, across the board to kind of maintain control and value for the shopper across the board. And so as we take a look at um, the configuration of products and for some, it's actually really sparking some new discussions about innovation. Um, and so probably a decade ago, I remember you know, Walmart really raising the flag of sustainability and challenging suppliers to take air and water and like how unnecessary it was. And uh, that was seen as a fad from a bunch of folks that you know had products that had a ton of air and water. But I think a lot of brands are really starting to rethink now as a time for true innovation when it's costing a ton more to transport, even to bricks and mortar stores today. And how do we change um, the customer experience and what the product is and how we get it to folks across the board? So some really interesting discussions and a real opportunity for innovation. Yeah, that's cool. So earlier you mentioned retail media. For anyone who doesn't know what retail media, can you give a high level explanation? So with the emergence of e-commerce and the digital shelf, retail media networks have evolved as retailers have been leveraging their first party data, as well as their digital storefront to attract advertising um, from manufacturers. And so as we take a look at where brands are looking to meet consumers across the board for both awareness and conversion, retail media has been um, a growing capability, especially taking some share from Facebook and other places that brands have been spending their dollars as these retailers marry their first party data capabilities um, with targeting and so that we can provide ad spend within the customer experience on the platform, which is where many of them start and managing search across the platforms and then adding some new things like DSP and off-platform capabilities that are really cutting into other brand spend. Okay. So essentially as a consumer, I would go to Walmart. I would maybe type in laptop and maybe across the top, it would show Lenovo's brand because they were an advertiser within the retail media network that said, we're going to put ads in front of consumers when they search for this. Is that like an easy way to think about it from a consumer perspective? Yes. Across the board. Yep. That's the way that we would think about it. And so SEO or search optimization for what those results are across the board. You know, you've got SEO and Google. SEO is you think about the retailer platforms. And so AMS is the big one that would be on Amazon and how you're bidding on keywords and able to be shown on the shelf, whether that's um, from a product perspective or display opportunities and having opportunities to put your product in front of shoppers, sort of like an end cap or another display in store. Yeah. Okay. And then from what I read, Amazon controls like 
they have like make up like 75% of the retail media ad spend, I think I saw. And then Walmart was like 7%, which I was like, wow, that's a very big difference. And then Instacart was like 2%. So really Amazon's controlling the majority of retail media ad spend right now. Yes. And so right across the board, I think 76 was one of the latest studies that I'd seen from Insider Intelligence. And as Amazon reported in their last year fiscal results, that was about $31 billion. They saw about 8% growth, I think, in Q1. So that continues to be a big and growing profitable um, part of the company. Walmart is the next biggest. But yes, there's a massive gap (laughs) that Walmart's trying to close with Amazon as they've got about 8%. Um, of the market and you know Instacart getting to 2%. So those three are really the yeoman's effort of where we're working with brands to be present um, as that's the places where they can intersect and influence consumer decisions across the top platforms. And I think there's two things driving Amazon's dominance there. One was how early they started in building retail media and those capabilities. As I think back, I mean, it's probably over a decade then that, you know, initially they started with brands would have to get out a credit card in order to start bidding on some of those terms and building out their capabilities. So they definitely had many years head start um, in building that out. And because they're an e-com only platform. And so they've really got a head start um, on that across the board. And then I think with Walmart, as you think about their omni-channel capabilities and the evolution into Walmart Connect, Target with Rondell, They've probably been working the past six years or so to build out those capabilities and finding ways to be able to bridge the investments that brands are making from a trade perspective with merchants for stores with this new digital storefront, if you will, across the board. Yeah. So, I mean, when thinking about the transition where at least thinking about Facebook days and all the brands were on Facebook and then it got expensive and then they were like, okay, we need to go somewhere else. Is there a worry that now all these companies are going to, you know, Amazon and now they're advertising there and they're becoming very reliant on yet another platform that, I mean, of course, it's probably going to stay around, but it does seem like the world's kind of moving in a different direction that's going to be less focused on platforms owning the audience and having, you know, that data that maybe the brands don't have as much of. It seems like the world's kind of moving in a different direction that's not as reliant on having a platform to control all the experiences. Is there any hesitancy there when you kind of see like companies jumping from one large platform that ended up, you know, took a lot of brands by surprise when things started changing, weren't working as well, all the updates to then jumping to another one? Is there any hesitancy? Yes. Like one of the interesting shifts we've seen is as you take a look at, you know, total digital ad spend across the board, most estimates would say that retail media has been growing at about $10 billion a year which ironically is about some of the declines that in the last year (laughs) that Meta or Facebook um, has seen uh, across the board. And so there's definitely a shift, especially as you take a look at privacy, cookies. And I think over the past three months, there's been some really interesting studies about the calling into question the effectiveness of some of the targeting um, and has that even really been hitting the folks that it was intended to hit and what the true relevance is. Meanwhile, retailer media networks have really been having to work hard to earn brands trust and to improve the returns and the reporting in order to compete for those same ad spends. And so I think a lot of retailers take a look at retail media network as this 
big opportunity that everybody's going to have. So over the past year, we've seen almost everybody coming out of the woodwork and either partnering yeah. to get a chunk of that money and others that are you know, trying to weave in some of their in-store media and try to get access to brand dollars. And so I think kind of inside brands, one of the interesting things that a lot of brands are going through is, you know, where is this blurring of the line when stuff for in-store really used to come out of trade and different budgets that impacted cost of goods? A lot of the above the line spend, right, hits a different budget. And so as sales and marketing functions need to work better together to figure out what are the most effective tactics in order to reach consumers to buy their products and the closing of that gap in terms of connected commerce also brings with it a lot of complexity and managing budgets <laughs> and some of the processes that have been put in place right, over decades of an old way of working. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Yeah, it's actually something I've been thinking about recently. So whenever we have, I'll say larger companies, when we have executives joining from very large companies, they will mention that, okay, they're trying to get the foundation right. And that's the things they're focused on. And because of course, I'll pop in questions about blockchain or Web3 or kind of like where things could be headed. And they really have a focus right now, like just get the foundation correct. And we can't even really talk to people, you know, in this omni-channel world. And I started thinking the past couple of weeks, what if they're focusing on getting this foundation where the targets already moved and they're building for a world that might not exist in like a year's time? I mean, they're getting all the capabilities set to be able to talk in this new world that maybe is current right this second, but then they're missing where the larger trend is actually going that, you know, is maybe not how we operate right in this moment. Yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> juxtaposition that I think both retailers and brands are in, quite frankly, at the intersection of like technology, people, processes, and functional silos. And in a connected commerce world, like all those things connect. But yeah, a lot of times the data and the tools don't in those worlds. And so from a measurement perspective and a data perspective, there's a lot of foundation and things that continuing to evolve. And I know um, a lot of folks as I network with peers across brands that are running e-commerce and thinking about tools, there's a lot of folks that have done some heavy tool investment, but a lot of those tools investments tend to be, right, the e-com team buys these things, supply chain is buying these things, and then they don't all talk together. And so stitching that together and putting together things like master data management and the related processes are 
so much harder to implement and realize the benefits that are thought about, I think, at the time that invest in tools, because then it takes the people <laughs> and the processes to help reap the rewards and benefits of that to bring it all together at the intersection of being agile. But that's definitely where the world is headed and the ability to be flexible, to your point, right, and pivot as things continue to change. Yep. Yeah, just the interview right before this one, I was talking to this guy named Roger, and he was telling me all about how you can have, you know, NFTs to offer premium access to brands, you know, interviews with the founders, whatever it might be, voting rights on the products. And he was telling about this whole space. And in a way, I was like, oh, that kind of sounds like loyalty programs. Yeah. <laughs> However, it has all the pieces that you want of a loyalty program and everything else. And it's traceable. And, you know, it's like this whole new way of thinking. And then I think back to, you know, other interviews I've listened to or people who are like, we are really doubling down on a good loyalty program this year. And I'm like, oh, man, if that's what they're spending all their R&D into this year, I'm kind of worried because there's this whole new piece of technology that you can use today to then maybe think about how to offer the best experience. And it can be lots of things, um, probably in a less you know cost intensive way than the old way of doing things. Yeah, I think as we think about metaverse, there's been you know a lot of experimentation on the retail side. You've got some folks. There's been a lot of experimentation on apparel, and um, I think one of the funny ones that especially because my girls play Roblox or on and off, yeah. <laughs> depending when you ask them, play Roblox that are like designing stores and stuff that you can create a fashion you know Forever Twenty One store and then connect that to their site to be able to right purchase. Some of those things. Um, so I think with everything, some test and learn is important, but a lot of brands are testing more for the technology than testing for the consumer experience and getting clear on what's the consumer experience, the community and the engagement yep. uh, that they want. But it's a fascinating space where folks, especially the younger generation, they're just learning about products and their perceptions of products are coming right from these new technologies and environments, which is very different. So, you know, it's definitely not about replicating that e-commerce store in a digital world. Yeah. <laughs> it's about some really interesting experiences and community. And you know, we'll see where we are, but there's been a lot of momentum on that front and experimentation over the past couple of months. Yeah, especially the community piece. That's something that's really interesting to watch how that's shifting and what people are looking for now versus, you know, what they maybe were looking for three years ago. And I think there's so much value that can be tapped into if a brand can figure out how to do it right and actually have an engaging community and not build it like the old versions of, you know, how they used to think about it. Yeah. Like I think some of the, you know, web 2.0, web 3.0, right. Thinking about how you really internalize the new capability of the technology to build something uniquely different versus trying to incrementally, right, build out and improve on processes that you've got. I think in addition to Meta and Web 3.0, I think the other thing that's really interesting to take a look at in the e-commerce world is marketplaces and marketplace strategy. As we take a look at Amazon, they've really dominated that certainly in the U.S. and uh, now over 56% of what they're selling is actually going through third-party sellers and the competition has really intensified with 3P sellers um, on that platform. And in some categories, we've even heard hints that you know, it's over 70% of sales in those categories is being done by three third-party sellers versus the 1P, which is kind of a retailer platform. And when you take a look at marketplaces, that's probably another place where 
you had initially a bunch of retailers that are copying Amazon and just trying to put everything on their platform and marketplaces. Um, you know, Walmart has really been expanding theirs across the board um, over the past couple of years, and they continue to report double-digit increases in sellers, especially overseas as well as in the U.S. But I think what's probably more interesting on that front is you look at the way that Target has approached it has been interesting. It hasn't just been about like, well, anything you want, you can also buy here through us and we'll drop and ship it to you. They've curated that, right? And so it's a complement to what's in store, but it's also very selective in a way that fits with the Target brand. So that's been a really interesting approach that's been consistent with the experience. Probably one of the things that's been most fascinating was Kroger had actually started with a marketplace strategy that was kind of in the vein of stopping where Amazon and Walmart were headed. But most interestingly, they actually put together a partnership recently in their marketplace with Best Buy. And so I think one of the powers of retailers, the roles that they play is actually the curation of products. Yep. To make that search easier for folks, you know, when you go to, I don't know, where Costco family, when you go to Costco and you're like, oh, great, they've already selected everything that I know that I'm going to love when I walk into the door. And especially, I think that partnership's really interesting where you've got a food retailer that already has a huge share of requirements that's been investing in fulfillment capacity with those Okada warehouses to be able to scale in places that they don't have physical stores in order to distribute product and expand their market share, and then partnering with the Bed Bath & Beyond that's got also Bye Bye Baby. So they're combining a curated assortment that gives them broader share of wallet and loyalty, but still maintaining curation. That's going to be interesting to watch how that partnership pans out. Yeah. I mean, I've continued to say that I think that's the way of the future and it'll be more of the niche communities who like certain things and they have someone who's curating all that for them. I mean, that's where it seems like the trends are heading right now outside of just everything you can get. Everything's here. I mean, to me, when I go on an Amazon or something like that, it's still pretty hard for me to find good things. It's like so much stuff pops up and I'm like, oh, 99% is bad. I'm on like page six and I still have not found the one thing I want. So it seems like there's either a big opportunity for them to have more curated, you know, marketplace style things. It's like, here's what you would like, or here's a, you know, something that reminds you of a TJ Maxx type of thing or whatever you like to do. Um, or a brand popping up and offering more of that or the partnerships. I mean, that's super exciting because I think that's what people want is someone make it easy for them, have good, a good style that they like, know what you're going to get there and not have to be on page six trying to find a crop top. Why is that so hard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Finding shorts for my daughter is the current uh, thing that we are still struggling with. So hard. Yeah. So hard. It shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's where we tend to forget like convenience, right? At the end of the day, we kind of get lost in all things and taking a look at the competitive landscape and copying what others are doing or what it seems that Amazon is doing and kind of staying true to the core of power of retailers as curation and where they're headed becomes um, really important um, in terms of, right? We just want it simplified, right? (laughs) We want it easier, do it for me. Um, and provide the power of convenience. So probably the other area that's been really interesting to watch in the grocery space has been the quick commerce segment. And that's one that I think a lot of followers of Amazon are saying, how can they deliver on quick commerce? And that'll never be profitable. But quite frankly, that's what everyone used to say about Amazon not long ago. And take a look at where they are and about to surpass 
Walmart in terms of size and scale in the US. And out of the probably billion dollars of grocery e-commerce that's out there today, those quick commerce players are probably about 10%. And so those are still highly concentrated in a lot of the you know, city and metropolitan areas and GoPuff really leading that charge. But there's been a massive influx of both capabilities to help scale as well as interesting partnerships in that space that, again, part of the value proposition, they've got a smaller assortment and help make it more profitable and a different, different distribution model where convenience is really important for shoppers today. And it comes back to that value proposition. Yeah, we had, um, I was just talking to the CEO of a company called Fast AF. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they are essentially delivering all the products that you can't get on an Instacart or something like that. It's the more bougie products. It's the health conscious ones. It's the things that, you know, you would never find on Amazon's, you know, two hour delivery type of window. And it's, I mean, to me, what I see with them is like, it's all about curation. They're the ones deciding the products that are coming on there, if they belong on the platform. And I mean, they blew up because it makes sense. People can go there and instantly know really nice quality products. I know the brands. I can't really easily get them, you know, anywhere else. Definitely can't get them within two hours. And I mean, yeah, they're taking off, but curation's key. Absolutely. So I always like to ask, what are you most excited about in the next coming year or so? What are you working on? What are you hearing from these brands or what big projects are you working on? Or it can be personally too. Oh, so many choices uh, across the board. So I think um, we'll start with work and navigating the complexities of the retail landscape with our clients um, and expanding out retail media capabilities is an exciting one for me. I just get fascinated always by like new technologies, new ways of doing things and the incremental learning. There's so much happening, especially with Amazon DSP. I think and a lot of folks think about layering in retail media, you know, search first. And then once you've kind of mastered search and you've plateaued, like then you can layer on DSP. And we've been experimenting with a number of our clients about a better together strategy and thinking about retargeting and new consumers or new product launches in a new way by putting both of those things together in order to amplify um, the impact they're having and getting and scaling uh, more quickly, especially on Amazon and other platforms. So I think because the platforms are so different, you've got a bunch of folks that are also specializing in each platform. And especially as you get into the omni-channel retailers, you also have in-store teams <laughs> that often have different goals and aligning with them. And so I think, especially as we take a look at Instacart and Walmart and Target, Amazon, and managing across those. That's a big trend that we've been seeing with our clients is they want folks to help them with the complexities of the measurements that we're getting back to. How do we think about what we're trying to accomplish and learn as we evolve in the space um, and figure out that right intersection between the brand objectives and the sales objectives and bringing the commercial story together with some data to make smarter decisions. So to me, that intersection's really exciting um, and problem solving our way and kind of learning as the capabilities continue to evolve. You know, we've seen Walmart's about to change their bidding strategy from first bid to second bid auction. Kerger just started across the board and sort of they're going to be evolving soon from a category and keyword strategy into first bidding. So continuing to track and then continuing to evolve brands and stroke approaches and strategy is really exciting. Interesting. I mean, you guys are at a 
super fun intersection being able to see everything that you can and definitely on the forefront of things. So thank you for coming on the show and sharing all that. Until next time, where can people learn more about you and um, the work you're up to? Awesome. Yeah. So both uh, Click and myself, Ann Zabowski, are very active on LinkedIn and a little bit more on ideoclick.com. Awesome. Thank you, Ann. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.